Hello and welcome back to the 11th round, a sports podcast for people who care too much about things that don't matter. I'm your host, Jay Markle. Pleased to have you back. It's been a kind of a wild week in baseball. And uh, with me is a good friend of mine, someone I met on Twitter, but um, I would say the only umpire for whose character I would gladly vouch, John Urkula. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, Jay. Good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you with me. How have you been? Hey, you know, I can't complain. It's been a good Christmas, getting ready for the new year, and I uh, love being on a podcast with you. I'm, it's almost like I'm as amped up as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates in the late 70s with a handful of green ready to go here. <laughs> it's been, what, 23 hours since we talked last? Yes. This, this is the second take of this uh, podcast because some technical error happened on my end and because i'm a total dunce i'm not sure what it is and how to fix it so here's hoping it works this time hey this is our chance to say the same thing but say it better i i concur <laughs> i concur so uh crazy winter the tigers have had huh oh it's been a hoot nanny i'll tell you it's been up and down <laughs> we've laughed we've cried oh mostly the latter we haven't had a parade. I don't think we're going to have a parade anytime soon, but. Oh, you don't believe in uh, the magic of Jose Urania? Jose Urania, Dustin Garneau, we're ready. We're, we're ready. <laughs> Bringing the mojo to Detroit. I'm, hopefully it's the magic of A.J. Hinch, right? That's, that's what we're counting on. Well, as, I, I, as long as the magic doesn't involve technology, we'll be good. Well, we've we've uh, made sure there's no no garbage cans anywhere inside the lower bowl. <laughs> you know what really cracks me up the most about that whole scandal is that people think the garbage cans were the problem, and they really weren't. But it was just such a ludicrous scheme they come came up with that it just, that's what people fixated on and totally forgot about the cameras, like the garbage so, cans. Yep, yeah. the garbage can. Yeah, you're exactly right. It was just so nuts that it just took on a life of its own. But yeah, definitely, it was the technology more than anything. Well, yeah, that's it's not a conversation for today, but it, it just entertains me. So, yeah. what what I wanted to talk about today was um, first of all the Jose Arena signing, and not spend a ton of time on that because it's not sure. a world shattering news. Yeah, um, and then move on to the world shattering news, which is just the insane week that the Padres have had and how. Uh, how the Tigers are impacted by the, the sort of major shift in the in this market. Yep, sounds good. So, so first of all, um, the Jose Urania signing that came out last week, they signed Urania, who had been non-tendered by the Marlins, to a one-year $3.25 million contract with undisclosed incentives for games started. What was your initial reaction to the signing when the, the news came through? Well, I was mildly impressed to his agent was able to get that much money for one year. Uh, it was a little more than I would have guessed. Um, but the flip side is you're never going to catch me going on too negatively about a one-year contract. Um, only so many things can go wrong and you're not, you know, uh, losing much if it doesn't go well. And the flip side is he's had a little bit of success at various points in his career. It's never been long-term sustained success. And obviously there've been a lot of, uh, you know, five plus ERA uh, time in his career. Uh, but, you know, they need someone who might provide some innings. He's been healthy. He takes the ball. Uh, it's, it's not the worst idea. It's just nothing to get too excited about either. Jose Urania is a guy who I've had my eye on, hoping he breaks out a little so that we can sw swoop in and profit off of that. But yeah. then he never broke out. So when he came, when the, when the news broke that they were signing him to this $3.25 million contract, like, well, okay, <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. Kind of like the Ivan Nova signing last year, where it's like, I, I have no major objections to this. It's just weird. Because yeah. he's the kind of guy you'd think would get like a minor league deal someplace, hoping to come to spring camp or maybe a million bucks listen there's no question like i said earlier if if i was a middling major league player who was suddenly cast loose by my team 
I would find out who Jose Urania's agent was. Because <laughs> he did a pretty good job, I think, uh, to get that much money for him. The, the upside here is pretty obvious. It's, it's the fastball because yeah. the, the, that's the only real positive pitch he has at the moment. And, and when it's working, he, he, I mean, he throws two varieties, the four seam and the, the sinker. And of course the sinker has been phased out considerably over the, over the broad scope of major league baseball. But when it's working, that sinker is a thing of beauty. It's a work of art. Just the, the highlight reels, if you cherry pick the nice looking ones, just incredible to watch. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. He, he has some ability. I mean, it's not like, I, I'm a little more optimistic than I was about Ivan Nova uh, with, with Urania, to be honest. Um, so, there, I mean, there's a chance he could put up a decent year and make himself a trade asset or someone you want to bring back one more time. Um, you know, I, this is also better than a two-year hitch with Doug Pelfrey back in the day, which I never understood. Um, you, know, th- you know, doing something like this with a Jose Urania is, is a better move. Well, if for no other reason than he's young. And I think another another benefit to this is that you're reuniting him with Juan Nieto. I can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't say these names unless I practice them. And I should have done it last night when I knew I was going to have to say it today. <clears throat> anyway, the Tigers' assistant pitching coach was the pitching coach in Miami during the best stints in Urania's career. So sure. I guess that's probably part of the thinking there is like, you know, you hook him up with his old coach again. Maybe he can find some of that old magic. It can't hurt. Yeah, it really can't. Um, and and, and <clears throat> something the Marlins tried last year, I took a dive into Urania's numbers to try to figure out like what the heck the Tigers saw in him to give him that kind of money. And, and one of the things I noticed was the um, Marlins changed up his pitch mix last year and, and his, sure. the number of sinkers he threw plummeted and he threw a heck of a whole lot more uh, sliders and uh, f- four-seam fastballs than he had in the past which is a little confusing to me because frankly, his slider is awful. I mean, it's, it's bad. Um, and you can tell that with the eye test and the stat cast numbers are just as bad. Like it's below average spin, below average vertical movement, well below average horizontal movement. It, it basically functions like a changeup that doesn't move arm side. Well, that's real positive, Jay. <laughs> but what was weird about it to me was that that was the pitch that had the highest whiff rate out of all out of all of his pitches so in other words he throws some really great ones but he throws a lot of terrible ones i don't know man i i watched some clips i love that mlb film room that they had that, that they oh, put yeah. up earlier this year because i was able to actually dig through and get an get a genuinely random sample um and and i didn't i didn't see it but what I'm hoping they're able to do is continue to fuss with his pitch mix um, and, and find that optimal division between his four seam, his two seam and his slider to get that, uh, that whiff rate cooking. Well, and again, you know, the, the bar isn't that high for this to be a success. I mean, he's coming off a year with a five plus ERA and he's had a lot of that in his career. If they can get 140 innings out of him and his ERA is about 4.3 or four and a half, you know, that's an acceptable starting pitcher uh, at the back of your rotation for a one-year deal. So at his age and his health and with the coaching, that's not impossible. I mean, he can do that. And, you know, if, if he does, that's that's worth the money they're, they're putting out for him. After all the research I did, kind of what it boiled down to to me is I think he's just a pillow. He's a tool to prevent – um, other pitchers in the starting rotation from getting punished too badly. Yeah, fair enough. If if Casey Mize or Tarek Skubal just aren't there yet, and last year some of their struggles weren't a fluke, or if Michael Fulmer just isn't a starting pitcher anymore, or something, yep. you suddenly you've got enough bodies, and then you don't have enough bodies for the starting rotation. Especially yeah, after Fiedo got Tommy John surgery, you don't have that depth there either. Exactly. And he might be somebody you can also uh, you do the piggyback start thing with too. I mean, if it comes down to that, where you let somebody go three, four innings and he goes two, three innings. And I mean, there are things they can do to try to massage this and get through the year. 
Yeah, that's the point, I think. Do you have anything else to say about uh, this man or not? No, not really. That's probably the most we'll talk about Jose Urena ever. <laughs> Unless he really surprises us. If he does, God love him. We'll talk about him at the All-Star break when he's got a 290 ERA. He's shocking everybody. And Chris Fetter is the toast of the town. Future closer, Jose Urena. There you go. Throwing four out saves. <laughs> We'll see. <clears throat> okay, so on to much more important news. Um, last night when we did this, I ran it all down and then we talked about it. And I think that was an awful decision. And so we're gonna do it the other way this time. All so right. chronologically, I believe what happened first was the Padres signed Kim Ha-Seong, a, a Korean, young Korean free agent, to a four-year, $25 million contract. Okay. Nice um, I was really upset about that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I was really upset about that. What, what was your initial reaction? I want to let you talk before I rant. Sure. Well, I think for the Padres, it's, you know, uh, just more part for the course. They're aggressive. They get stuff done. They don't just, obviously, they don't just... Uh, create rumors that never get acted upon things happen with the Padres and uh it seems like a pretty reasonable deal uh you know depending on where they're going to use him in their infield and and what his role is going to be uh you know even if he's just a utility guy at four million bucks a year or whatever that's going to be uh is it six million or four million I forget it's in the six million neighborhood you know that, that's a kind of a pricey person for them but it's not outrageous and he might be more than a utility guy uh we're just gonna have to see you know how it all unfolds but if you have the money and if you're aggressive enough that's the kind of move to make uh that would be a great move for the tigers and you know i know there were whispers that they were possibly poking around the fringes uh of kim but my guess is they probably never made a real competitive offer uh and that's a shame because the tigers could use him uh, tomorrow, uh, he would play a lot this year and we would, and the thing is with the way the team is structured, his success in 2021 wouldn't be that big of a deal. I mean, they could let him, they could give him a lot of at bats, let him uh, adjust to major league pitching, uh, get his feet wet, see how the year goes. If it's a good year, wonderful. If it's not that great a year, then you just keep building on him and working with him. Uh, but instead, they did nothing and the Padres did something and that's going to be a recurring theme. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. And that, that I think is the gentle way of saying exactly what I'm feeling, which is that the idea that this player out there who is by all accounts, probably the, the, the second best player to come out of Asia or prospect to come out of Asia since Ichiro, the, the best obviously being, uh, showtime over in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, Otani. Yep. He, he got signed for $25 million and the Tigers were unwilling to beat that is yeah. just, I'm incredulous. They were linked to him for the, and, and, and I never expected them to actually sign him, but that's because I thought he was going to be cost twice as much. Yeah. All, all the projection systems from the nerds like Dan Simborski, who know baseball inside and out from a numbers perspective, and mm -hmm. all the scouts like, say, J.J. Cooper, who's, I don't want to call him old school, but if you're an old school mindset, he's the guy who you want to pay attention to. Yeah. They both agree that he's going to be awesome. So why on earth would we not at least give it a more competitive shot than the $25 million that he ended up getting from the Padres? And as if if the if the Korean reporting is to be believed, the Kim had to negotiate the Padres out of adding minor league options into his contract. <laughs> he did not get an ideal contract, and and, and the Padres just leveraged the the yeah. the the um, um, lethargy of the rest of the league into getting this young player who is probably going to be good <laughs> with a capital G good yeah. on, a, on a very team-friendly deal even if he's not that good 
they signed last year Jonathan Scope, who is the definition of an okay second baseman to a $6 million contract last year. If Tim Haseong hits the middle of the road of his projections, he'll put out a similar war production as Jonathan Scope, who they just paid the same annual average value as Kim Haseong is going to be getting. It's insanity. Why wouldn't they do it? Kim Haseong is exactly the player that they needed. And they just let him go for no good reason. And I can't, it's, it's amazing to me. This is what it is to be a Detroit Tigers fan right now. I mean, there's always that caveat that we don't know if they made a competitive offer, but really I think we do know. I, I, I would bet they didn't. They just, they just have that passivity cloud around the franchise right now where, you know, maybe they had some discussions with the agents, but I would bet they never even put a big offer in uh, a real offer. Um, it's just um, not where they feel they are at. doesn't matter where we think they should be at. It's where they feel they're at. I just not getting that feeling from them. And yeah, even if he's a two and a half war player, uh, th- that's worth the money right there, you know? Uh, and he might be more than that. We'll you just have to see. He's a two and a half war player. That is well more than worth the money because that going rate for a single win above replacement is $8 million. So sure. if he puts up two and a half, that's um that's like 20 million dollars worth of value yeah absolutely for six and a half million dollars yeah it's uh it's i mean and, and you know we could say that about the tigers we could say that about a, a dozen more teams right now why weren't they in the mix for a guy like that uh, that's kind of where the industry is too that's the thing that's that's the amazing part you know the padres are making things happen uh i'm, I'm probably going to sound like i'm you know number one Padre fan in this whole thing here, but uh, it's, 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 you know, fairly impressive that they don't have the fear of making mistakes. That is, that is a pretty good way of putting it. They don't have fear of making mistakes. Um, and that's a nice transition into pro- the next topic, which is the two big trades that they made. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the first one being the, the, the trade they made with San Diego. I mean, obviously it was with San Diego they're in San Diego with Tampa Bay the Rays they traded uh Louis Patino Cole Wilcox Francisco Meja and Blake Hunt to the Tampa Bay Rays for Blake Snell yep quite a trade um you know it's no shock that probably the two most interesting front offices in baseball uh, collaborated on a very interesting baseball trade that we could really sink our teeth into that had a lot of, um, a lot of ways to go, uh, a lot of permutations, how it could work out for either team. Uh, just really a fun, a fun baseball trade. Uh, obviously some fans in Tampa, the fans that they have are a little upset that they let Snell go, but I, I think in the end, um, you got to trust what the, what the Rays do in terms of their uh, scouting. And the prospects they've targeted here, I think, is a pretty good haul for Blake Snell. Uh, you know, Blake Snell's coming off the one big year a couple of years ago with the Cy Young. He's always going to be called a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, that's part of his uh, business card now. Um, but really, the, the rest of his career, he's, he's been a good pitcher, but not a great pitcher. And he's a, a five-inning monster lately, not a seven- or eight-inning monster. So... Uh, I, I think the Padres did well in this trade. I think that Snell will help them, but I, I like what the Rays did. I really do. I think they got some, uh, a bulk of talent. I think they got some guys that'll probably help them sooner than later. I think the Rays and the Padres kind of got both got really good value out of this trade. Let me ask yeah. you about a comment you made there. You said Snell is a five inning monster, not a seven inning monster. Do yeah. You think well, they- that has to do more with Snell as a pitcher or the way Tampa Bay manages their pitchers? Um, I think that if the Rays honestly felt that he was going to be good consistently in the seventh and eighth inning, they would have let him because I think they would have let their data tell them what they, what, what he, what they think he can do. Um, 
I don't necessarily think it's a one size fits all model that they have, that they were going to, they were going to take him out after five innings, no matter what. I think they must know, or at least they feel they know that, you know, you get five innings out of him or six, uh, that's a good night's work for Blake Snell. Now, maybe that's, maybe the Padres will think differently and they'll do it differently. I, well, that remains to be seen, but I mean, the facts are the, the, he hasn't pitched more than six innings now in a couple of years in any one outing. So um, I just got a sense if, if, if the Rays really felt he could do it, they'd let him do it. You're, you're, I, I agree. I think you're probably right. But it's an interesting question to, to pay attention to going mm-hmm. forward because of that whole um, hullabaloo that got uh, uh, stirred up when they yanked him in the World Series. Oh, uh, yeah, they, they stuck to their guns. They worked their plan. I mean, the Rays, again, they're another team. I'll use the same thing I said about the Padres. The Rays are not fearful of a mistake. Uh, they're going to do it their way. They're going to have a plan. They're going to work that plan. And, yeah, uh, they came out to pull. Kevin Cash came out and pulled him. I didn't have a big problem with it because, you know, you watch enough Rays baseball, you knew that was going to happen. They were going to go to the big arms in the pen. Didn't work out. But really, their offense scored one run that night, so not much was going to work out. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of how I was explaining um, the Rays to my family. I was watching with my aunt and my grandfather, who are kind of not really into baseball, but mm-hmm. they wanted to watch World Series with me because I was into it, and so they just yeah. you know humored me, I guess. And so I was trying to explain what made the Dodgers and the Rays great. Cause I had just got done explaining how the playoffs are a total crapshoot, and you don't always get the, the best teams into the world series, but this year was different. So it's going to be a really yeah. good one. Um, and that's, that was the core of my argument for the Rays is not only are they super talented, they're also such meticulous planners and they stick to that plan and they get the most out of all of the talent that their guys have to offer. And so for that reason, I, I tend to agree with you that Snell probably shouldn't be pitching past that second and a half time to the order because it's well, just, once he gets through it, once he gets through twice, then it's batter by batter, you know? Um, and even in that game, I, I forget the exact sequence, but it looked like in the last couple of batters, he had walked a guy um, on might've been on four pitches, you know? I so I, I didn't have a big problem with it. It didn't work. You know, that's, but you can't judge it by outcome. You know, it, they have a process and they work that. So, um, Hey, there were two games from the world series. I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize them. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I've been watching what we've watched for the last three, four years. Um, they, you know, the, the Rays are a great organization. Uh, they do a lot of, a lot of good things. Um, and I think this trade is going to help them. I think Patino uh, probably gets in their rotation this year. Uh, I'm not worried about his so-so debut in, in San Diego pitching out of the bullpen because 2020 was just such a messed up year. Um, I don't, I give pretty much all, especially the young players, I give them all a pass. Uh, there was no minor leagues uh, to work in. Um, who knows exactly what they're doing in the alternate sites. Uh, they get thrown into the big leagues. Uh, I think Patino's got some real talent. Uh, every, everything you read, everything you see online uh, and on video, that guy can throw. And I think the, Bra- the, the, the Rays will get a lot out of him. He's, he's the headliner, but I am more interested in, well, well, it's hard to say. All of the guys they got are really interesting, especially yeah. their fit with that organization. If I had to pick one, though, I'm, I'm most interested to see what the Rays do with Cole Wilcox mm-hmm. because the type of pitcher he is is my – total kryptonite and and the the problem with Cole Wilcox and pitchers like him is that if you can't spin a breaking ball it's hard to get you through um many batters yeah and that that was the downfall of say Logan Shore where there wasn't a lot on the fastball but he could spot it and he had a big change up and he could spot it so theoretically you know two workable pitches and good command should get you to the majors, but he couldn't spin a breaking ball. And so guys just knock him around. That's not to say that Cole Wilcox and Logan Shaw are the same pitcher because it's like, 
that's like comparing ground beef to filet. Yeah, they're the same thing, kind of, but totally different leagues. Cole Wilcox throws a dynamic fastball. And I know, I know all kinds of words get thrown around to describe fastballs, electric, uh, blazing, uh, 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 elite. Oh, I, I, sports writers use the word elite so much that I think it's lost meaning, kind of. Yeah. It's, it's such an abused word, but Cole Wilcox has a really good fastball <laughs> and it's hard to put it in such a way that the, the words haven't been demeaned because it's such a good pitch. And the same can be said about his changeup, but there's nothing else there yet. Yeah. So I'm super interested to see whether the Rays can coax out that breaking ball or coax out a little more command. Cause if they can, that dude is going to be a, a beast he's gonna be so good if they can just get a little more out of him yeah whether it's a curveball or slider whatever they you know uh get him to concentrate on um but it, even again when you look at what they what they got him for you know he was a third round draft pick who got one of the biggest bonuses in baseball uh the rays didn't even have to pay that uh now they just have him in as part of this trade uh worst case let's say he never picks up uh that breaking ball he is a fastball changeup, big strong arm the rays know what to do with that too you know they'll make him a two-inning guy and make him a weapon so if that's the floor that's a pretty good floor uh as you know your second or third guy in this trade um and i think there's a very good chance he's more than that i'm just saying that you know if, if he's strictly just fastball change up two innings get him out of there okay you can work with that but he might be more, probably will be more. I know there's probably a little more meat on this bone, but do you think it's important we talk more about it before we move on to the next trade? No, no, that's fine. All right. So um, two days later, no, I take it back the next day. Next day. <laughs> the, the Padre struck again. So it, the, the news of the Snell trade had, I mean, it was still, the, the breath was hot in the air from <laughs> breaking that news. And uh, I think it was Jeff Passan came out and said, they're still interested in you, Darvish. And like 20 hours later, you, Darvish, was a San Diego Padre. Um, yes, here, here, here's the complete deal. You, Darvish, and Victor Caron Caratini are traded from Chicago to San Diego in exchange for right-handed pitcher Zach Davies, minor league shortstops Reginald Preciado and Jason Santana, and minor league outfielders Owen Casey and Ismael Mena. You know, this one. <laughs> stunning trade. It really was. You know, the, the uh, Padres definitely trying to stack their successes <laughs> uh, and just uh, solve a lot of problems in one fell swoop uh, during Christmas week here. Um, really interesting. They got Darvish uh, to add to Snell and to Lamette and to um, uh, Chris um, Paddock. Paddock, thank you. I wanted to say Packard, and I knew that was wrong. Chris Paddock, uh, they're going to get Clevenger back next year. I mean, they just have an embarrassment of riches now in their rotation. They're going to throw a quality starter at you, health, health. You know, assuming they have good health um, every night. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, they take on some money, which teams aren't doing right now. Uh, so uh, pretty brave to do that in terms of bucking the trend in, around MLB. And they also get Darvish's uh, personal catcher in Caratini. So um, that's a nice little uh, uh, safety blanket for Darvish as well to, to bring his catcher along. And also Caratini plays other positions too. So um, not a great player, but certainly a you know, somewhat valuable player. And then the flip side is the, the Cubs. I mean, what do you say uh, what they're doing right now? You know, they, they already needed started starting pitching and now they're, they're selling their number one guy guy who almost won a Cy Young award last year um, and they do it for you know a decent number three number four pitcher in Davies so that's a downgrade from Darvish and then they get four basically three of them are teenagers one of them's 20 I just saw three of them have never had a professional at bat yet so they are really trusting their scouts here and making a long-term play that they're going to get a couple of good guys out of these four players and a couple of them signed for healthy bonuses. So they're, you know, they probably have some skill. Um, but what this says about the, the Cubs is just 
very, very interesting uh, in terms of just that team, but also around baseball. Do the, a major market team like the Cubs need to cut payroll that badly? Uh, is that, it's an incredibly cynical trade. It's amazing. And, you know, they're launching, you know, they're saying they're not rebuilding, but it's sure, you know, if it walks like a duck and, you know, sounds like a duck, it might be a duck. It looks like a rebuild to me. And this would be their second one in a decade, which is really something, uh, you know, four years after winning the World Series, uh, they're launching another rebuild. They can't sell themselves as the lovable losers anymore. You know, they did that for 100 years and that worked nicely for them. <laughs> now they've won, you know, they, they can't say, oh, we're the lovable losers. No, they're really not. So to say that, hey, we're going to dump our, our number one pitcher for a bunch of guys you've never heard of. And, you know, we may trade Chris Bryant and we're going to let Schwarber go. Uh, you know, maybe we trade Contreras. That's a rebuild. I'm sorry. They, if they follow through on a couple of more of those moves and they don't bring anybody in uh, of note this winter, that's a rebuild. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, they have a somewhat barren farm system. Uh, there's a lot of rumors about how much debt uh, the Ricketts have taken on around buying up all that land around Wrigleyville. Um, but that's a non-baseball reason and that's, you know, that's unfortunate. So hard to see where the Cubs are coming off a division title, uh, making this, this move pretty stunning and a pretty good move for the Padres. I think Caratini is maybe the most underrated player in this trade because people are talking about Darvish and how good he is and how good he's going to be in that rotation and these prospects on the Chicago line, they're talking about these prospects. I mean, of course they are. It's, it's a, super disappointing trade if you're a Cubs fan. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Caratini has seemingly been dismissed as like the other guy. Oh, he's just the personal cat. Well, he's a good catcher. It's, he could probably start on a lot of teams at just on his own merit as the starting catcher. Cause he can hit too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He was the first designated hist uh, hitter in Chicago Cubs history, uh, which I thought was an interesting tidbit, not at all relevant, <laughs> but interesting. Um, he, 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 he's the, the only reason people don't know him well is because he's stuck behind Contreras, honestly, because sure. this is an environment in the game where good catchers are hard to come by. It's just sort of like a, a, an era where they don't come along because what, um, catchers do well is not valued by this, uh, uh, atmosphere in the game. So mm -hmm. I think. Um, the Padres not only got a steal on you Darvish, but getting them to include Caratini in this trade without having to um, pay up for him. Cause if you were just going to get Caratini, who's a good young catcher in, in cost controlled for a number of years, number of more years, I think he's under contract for another three years. That yeah, was, that would cost, that would cost you. So that was, I think probably the biggest win on San Diego's part was getting him thrown in for what looks like probably was, virtually nothing yeah and just and just a little tidbit that he you know he he catches darvish you know uh, it's just a pretty uh, nice piece of uh front office work i think you know you make you make the big splash to get darvish but you also position yourself to bring on his catcher too who's a good player and a decent hitter um really can't see how they went wrong you know they, they take they've taken on some money but uh, again if you darvish stays healthy He's going to make you have that money. There's no question about it. He's going to be worth it. So um, what the heck does this have to do with the Tigers? Well, again, when you look at a, a market like the Padres, you know, they're just down the road from L.A. They're a secondary market in that state. Um, yeah, they have a new ownership, fairly new. Um, but certainly nobody who should wield more power than Yelich's. Uh, they are being very aggressive. Um, they have a mindset that they want to compete. They made these moves without seriously damaging their own farm system. I mean, they didn't have to move Mackenzie Gore or Robert Hassel or any of their other top five prospects. And they ended up getting Snell and Darvish, you know, uh, that, how impressive is that? Can you imagine the Tigers making that move, doing anything similar? Uh, 
really from everything we've heard from Detroit, they have gone into the turtle position until they prove differently. Uh, and, you know, then also you look at the Cubs, a big market team pulling back payroll. Now that gives the Tigers kind of an excuse to say, hey, man, the Cubs are doing it. How can we be expected to go out and get premium talent uh, and spend money? So, yeah, you know, you look at these moves being made and then you look at the general passivity of the Tigers. They are in a show me state right now. They're, you know, until they tell us differently, uh, it looks to me like they are in that pullback mode and they're not, they're not coming out of it um, for a while. So I would say that's kind of the first thing that pops to my mind when looking at the moves made this week. I don't think, I don't want it to come across what I'm about to say. Like, I think the Tigers should have done what the Padres did because I don't think they're in a position to correctly utilize the time frame on the contracts that mm-hmm. Snell and you Darvish have. But that concept that the Padres went and executed is exactly what the Tigers need to be doing. Not going and getting Darvish and Snell specifically, but saying that guy is good at baseball. I should go use my assets to go get him because the Illiches are really rich and the Tigers have a heck of a lot in terms of uh, prospect um, capital, because really that's what prospects should be used for in this environment. It's capital. And I know that it sucks to see prospects traded away. I would dare say that I am one of the biggest prospect junkies on Tigers Twitter. I get it. Why a lot of people don't want to see them trade these guys that we've become attached to as we've sort of learned about their personalities and seen the highlight reels from the minor leagues and dreamed of them uh, uh, performing really well in Comerica Park. But the fact is that most prospects don't work out. And if you need proof of that, look at Bo Burrows and Derek <laughs> Hill, who the Tigers drafted in the first round because they thought they were going to be good. And then it's yeah. out, oh, actually, Bo Burrows isn't good. And oh, actually, Derek Hill isn't good. Uh, and pro- probably someone would accuse me of giving up too early on Bo Burrows. But I mean, he's 20, he's pushing 24, and he's the same pitcher he was when he was 20, which doesn't yeah. lie. <laughs> The ship has probably sailed. I yeah. mean, he's another one. Everyone's going to say, oh, Chris Fetter will fix him. Well, okay, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you're right. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, trading prospects makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jed Hoyer today um, said something, you know, when he was kind of defending the Darvish deal a little bit, he was saying it's very hard to get teams to let go of their top prospects right now. And I believe him. Uh, I believe that part of that's true. But the Rays just got some really solid prospects away from the Padres. So they, you can price some of them loose, number one. Um, but number two, you know, the Tigers have the prospects now to move. I mean, they can do it. And when you hear someone like Hoyer saying teams aren't doing it, the Tigers could leverage some of that strength that they have by having a top farm system, which they're rated, you know, top five everywhere now. Um, they have the Illich wealth and other teams aren't spending. So now you could go against the grain and spend a little money uh, while other teams aren't spending and gain the advantage of being different from the pack. Uh, again, there's a lot of uncertainty in baseball right now. There's no question about that. Uh, we just came off a disjointed, crazy year. We don't know how many games they're even going to play next year uh, we don't know when there's going to be fans allowed if any uh, or how many uh, so yeah there's a lot of uncertainty but in that uncertainty I'd rather see the Tigers instead of being passive because of the uncertainty hey now let's find the opportunity that the uncertainties are uncovering for us you know turn it into a positive by using some of the organization's strengths uh, which is being the fourth wealthiest ownership group and having a decent farm system. You could make something of that, but it just appears to me that Illich and Avila, they're going the other direction. They're going to go along with the crowd to go along and get along thing. 
And um, instead of being a power player in this offseason, they're just going to kind of go along with the crowd. Well, reality is a bummer. So allow me to fantasize for a moment, if you will. Sure. Okay. I think the Tigers should go trade with Padres. And here's what I think they should do. I think they should use their extensive resources to go trade for Padres second baseman, uh, Jake Cronenworth. Okay. How much did you know about Jake Cronenworth before we talked about this yesterday? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just curious because he's a guy that I've hyper-focused on way more than the general public. So I don't know what his reputation is outside of my wacky brain. I, I knew he was with Tampa. Uh, I knew that he was available. I wanted to say he was available once he was exposed in Rule, rule 5, but I wasn't sure if that was true um, at one point. But, you know, uh, I knew he was kind of a bat-first infielder. That's about the extent of what I knew about Jake Cronenworth. So let me fill you in. Drake, okay. Jake Cronenworth got traded to the Padre. Well, you know all this because we talked about it yesterday. Let me fill the audience in and use you yeah. as an audience surrogate for expositional purposes. Um, he was traded to the Padres in the Tommy Pham deal as sort of like a glorified throw-in, like a priority throw-in, you know what I mean by that? Yep. Um, and he was allowed to battle in camp with Jorge Mateo and uh, uh, Jerickson Profar for the second base job. And as it turns out, players who hit really well in AAA also tend to hit really well in spring training camp. And as it turns out, Jake Cronenworth wasn't just a fluke and he hit really well all season long. And he ended the season as uh, I want to say a, like a 120 WRC plus hitter, mm-hmm. um, which, which is a you know, fairly nice piece, even at a stacked position like second base. And he's also a good defender at second base. He came up through the minors as a shortstop um, and he's, he's, he's quick and he's rangy um, doesn't have the most incredible hands, but all of his other, you know, his instincts, his arm, his range totally makes up for it. Um, he's, he's generally a quite good defensive second baseman. And he can also fill in at shortstop when necessary. Um, he also has all of his minor league options intact and has five years of club control. And the Padres are going to waste him next year. Yeah, you're probably not going to have a ton of at-bats unless he really goes off or there's an injury. Yeah. Right. So let me detail to you, comma, audience surrogate, um, the Padres infield. First base, Eric Hosmer, gigantic contract. Also, Jake Cronworth doesn't play first base. He's not getting at-bats at first base. Second base, Kim Ha-Seong, who they just paid a $25 million four-year contract to and has essentially had his entire career at the AA level. So he's going to need some at-bats to, to, to get up to speed in the major leagues which you can't fake in practice. He's going to need them in game because of the contract. He's not going to play over Kim Ha-Seong. He Well, he might, but it would be a bad choice in my humble opinion. <laughs> shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. Perhaps the best shortstop in the game. Yeah. He's not playing over Fernando Tatis Jr. And finally, third base, Manny Machado, who was given the largest contract in baseball at the time before Bryce Harper immediately overtook him. Yep. He's not playing over the, the, the Albatross contract. That essentially means Jake Cronenworth, who is a starting level position player and a darn good one at that is going to be relegated to occasional at-bats to give a guy a rest or as an injury replacement, which you hope you don't have to use. Yeah. And a lot of it will depend too of what they do with the DH overall. If there's a DH in the NL, you know, then you could probably spot him in, give, give other guys a day off at D, as a DH. But yes, you're, you're kind of, I agree with you completely. This creates the rare instance where Jake Cronenworth is going to be considerably more valuable to the Padres in trade than he will be as a player on their roster. That is an argument that a lot of teams use kind of in a roundabout way when they trade away guys, which I think is total bullcrap in 95% of situations. But in Mm -hmm. this case, it's absolutely true because you're going to get probably more value out of Jake Cronenworth in trade than you will 
having him play, I don't know, 40 games. Yeah. Especially considering he has the options on his contract and he has the five years of control and he has a track record, even though it's not a super long one, he has a major league track record. Those three assets come attributes combined create an extraordinarily expensive player (laughs) on the trade market. Yeah. There's no question. Um, If the Tigers has something that they view as uh, a fit, uh, whether it's for their bullpen or, you know, and I'm not sure what the Tigers would do, that is a fit. But if that is out there, uh, Jake Cronenworth would play a lot in Detroit. Uh, He would be probably the everyday second baseman uh, or maybe playing some at shortstop, depending what happens with Castro and others. Uh, He would be perfect guy to plug in and see what he develops into over the next five years. Uh, Now the flip side is for San Diego. He he has options. He's cheap. They could stash him. What do they care? Um, But so I think they would have to be able to get something tangible back where they feel, Hey, we can help this is a guy who can help us catch the Dodgers. I, I agree with you. Um, and that's what makes it tricky is there's not really an exact fit. Even though the Tigers have all these assets, it's hard to point at something and say, this is the thing the Padres should want. Yeah. The, the pieces that make the most sense as a centerpiece on this kind of deal are like, and I know this is going to piss off some of the people listening to this, but I'm going to say it anyway, Tarek Skubal where if you wanted a one-for-one swap, that's probably the guy. But where where are they going to use Tarek Skubal? They have a completely loaded rotation already. And next year, it's going to be even more stacked. When he's the most ready next year, it's going to be even more stacked because they're getting uh, Clevenger back from Tom John surgery. And Mackenzie Gore is is knocking on the door anytime. You know, probably the number one or number two pitching prospect in baseball. So, yeah, I think... That's why I think they have such a good farm system. You know, they made these trades and they didn't even dig into their top five to do it. I think they, any trade now, and again, I don't know. I don't know what Preller is going to do. Um, but it seems to me that any trade now needs to be about improving their major league roster because they are forming up to take a run at the AL West uh, and, and hope that the Dodgers have that kind of year where maybe they're down, down a little bit you know, they're down five, six games from their, their, their heights. Uh, and now you can catch them, you know? So who on the Tigers organization is big league ready and, and fills some kind of niche role with the Padres to make their 26 man roster better. I don't know. Maybe that's Daniel Morris. You know, we talked about him uh, for the, for the Rays. We maybe we'll talk about him again for the Rays, but maybe he makes sense in a bullpen for the Padres. I don't know. Yeah. The other and I don't want to spend too long on this because this is just me fantasizing, but another possibility is that maybe they could center it around the 31st pick that they got. That's a tradable pick. It's a compensation, a round pick. Um, That could be a pretty hefty part of the deal. And another thing that they could do is try to make the major league piece sort of a secondary Um, someone in the, in the blessed boy slack. And I know I'm not allowed to call out people specifically without the permission. So if you hear this person and you want credit, I'll credit you on Twitter. Um, Greg Soto, maybe, uh, as a secondary piece in the deal, um, mm-hmm. who they, you know, if he works out, he's going to be good, but, you know, you don't really know there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was, when, when Gregory Soto had the seven dominant innings to start his uh, season in Detroit, and there was a lot of ballyhoo about there. He's, he's the man. Uh, I was kind of the turd in the punch bowl on that one a little bit. I'm like, hey, you know, he's had seven great innings. Let's let's slow our roll a little bit here. Um, you know, he's he. I don't think that we have the next Araldis Chapman yet. Okay, uh, let's let's see what happens. I think he can be a fine pitcher. I think there's a lot to work with there, but the fact is, he's a reliever who's going to pitch 50 innings probably in a good year or 60. If you can find an advantageous deal. For a position player, I move Gregory Soto in a heartbeat. Uh, that would not even be a question for me, most of the, depending on who we're talking about. So how else do you think the Tigers could um, take advantage of this trade market? We talked about a few other guys. Uh, I think yesterday we talked about 
um, Daniel Norris and Willie Adamas. Uh, do you want to talk about either of those guys or maybe um, throw in another well, name that we didn't discuss? Well, I just think that, you know, some opportunities that could lay out there, you know, the only guy uh, left on the Rays roster making over 10 million a year is Kevin Kiermeyer. And again, we know, considering he's the last one left, the Rays don't feel the need to pay people over $10 million a year. Um, can the Tigers leverage some of their uh, low payroll, add some payroll, take on Kiermaier, uh, and but also get a prospect that they like, um, that they feel they can plug into their system quickly, uh, attached to Kiermaier's contract, and maybe move Daniel Morris, or Norris, excuse me, to the Rays because there was some talk of him last year going to the Rays. Uh, that kind of move would interest me um, because you get a player in Kiermaier who's, you know, he's fine. He's, he's a leader. He's a great player. He, I mean, a great fielder. Uh, he'll hit a home run every 20 games. Um, but you, you can play in center field and he's not going to hurt you too much. Uh, but more importantly, you get that prospect. Uh, and, and the Rays have such a loaded system. If you could get a guy like Greg Jones, uh that's you know, an interesting name you know a switch hitter great speed plays shortstop second base the rays are filthy loaded with shortstop second base prospects up the middle you know they have wander franco and xavier edwards and vidal brujan taylor wall who you were talking about um you know and greg jones and, and there's another guy whose name's escaping me right now so then those are all names in their top 15 prospects any one of those guys, if you plugged them into the Tigers um, minor league system, they would automatically be on the lips of all of us as, hey, that's our future shortstop, you know? <laughs> so and I we're think you were thinking of Xavier Edwards. No, I mentioned him. There's another guy. I, it's like Ariel something, or uh, I'm not positive. But, um, but anyway, any of those guys would be right off the bat that'd be the guy we'd have targeted as the shortstop for the Tigers uh, in the next few years. And if you could get even their fifth best middle infield prospect that they have remaining in their system uh, attached to someone like Kiermaier in a deal, I, I think you're getting a really good asset there. And all for the pact that you're taking on $10 million contract uh, in Kiermaier where you might end up paying, you know, they're, they're going to bring in an outfielder probably this year who makes, you know, six, $7 million. Okay. So, you're spending an extra four to get bring in Kiermaier. Uh, but if you get that prospect, that'd be fantastic. That's an interesting trade structure that I hadn't considered before you mentioned it. Um, the, the, the one with the Rays that was interesting to me, aside from Daniel Norris, who you can use in a, in a bunch of different interesting ways, depending on whether you keep him, extend him, trade him, whatever. I think you've discussed that kind of thoroughly enough. Um, is Willie Adamas, who is quickly approaching expendability within the yep. Rays struck the way they structured their organization, the way they go about things. Um, because he, I think he just finished up year two uh, in the major leagues. And this year, I mean, they don't like to keep guys after year three because that's when the ARB kicks in and they start to get a little pricier. And as you mentioned, I mean, they have Wander Franco knocking on the door who is going to immediately displace Adamas probably to second base at least. And then they've got all these other guys too, who they're either going to have to trade or they're going to have to play one or the other. And that sort of leaves Adamus out of the picture, um, especially if they don't want to pay him. So a reunion with Willie Adamus would be pretty cool, I think, for the Tigers because, um, you know, Nico Goodrum's okay. He's, he's fine. I don't have anything against him. He's an interesting player. Um, he's a gold glove finalist. <laughs> But if, if the Tigers are going to be competitive with Nico Goodrum on the, on the roster as an everyday guy, he's going to be the light side of that yeah. double play tandem. And they're going to actually pair him with someone considerably stronger. So I wouldn't mind picking up a guy like Willie Adamas, who, who has another four years on his um, team control. Right. And playing out his contract. And if he's, you know, you could extend him maybe, or you can, just play them out for those four years. And hopefully within those four years, the Tigers have made moves that make them competitive. But that, they, that seems like a nice fit to me. If they can find a reasonable way to get Willie Adamas, that'd be fantastic. I Obviously, he struggled a bit in the 60-game season. Uh, but I'm willing to give most everyone some level of a pass 
uh, because of, it was just such a crazy year. Uh, and one massive slump, you know, if, if some guy goes into a 15 game slump, their numbers are tanked, you know? So in the past, Adamas has shown some power, pretty good glove. Uh, Tigers could get him, put him at short, move Castro to second base. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm willing to watch, I'm willing to watch Willie Castro play shortstop this year because the Tigers aren't going anywhere. And so whatever he does is fine. But I'm probably a little more interested to watch him at second base over the long haul, um, and see if that he can see if he can continue to hit. Uh, because now, if you got a pretty good offensive second baseman, you know that that's a nice little thing to have. And Adamas, you know, playing shortstop, pretty good glove, and has a little bit of power. And hopefully, we see that this uh, 2020 campaign was a bit of a fluke, and he kind of comes back to where he was. Uh, that would be a great thing. I think what make the Padres and the Rays. Um interesting targets for, for trade is because they're clearly in a mode right now where they're willing to do stuff. Yeah. And just willingness to do stuff is and they have sort of, what, what's that? They have the surplus of guys. I mean, they have such a deep system. They can, yeah. they, they can be creative. I mean, uh, you know, they, you could also say that they can, they might also beat a veal like a drum on a deal. Um, that's possible, <laughs> but um yeah, I think those are. I think that's why we should be talking about them. You're right. Well, really, the the Tigers need to acquire major league players, and I, they're late on that already. I wanted them to start picking up guys for their like foundational pieces, not necessarily flashy players. I thought last offseason was the time to start on that. I was mm -hmm. advocating for them to sign. Um, I mean, if I had had my way, they would have signed Didi Gregorius and Yoshitomo Sutsugo. And, yep. you know, in retrospect, maybe that wasn't the greatest plan. Maybe it was. I haven't kept such a close eye on either of those guys. But the point is, those are sort of like mid-price range guys who aren't going to be stars. But it sort of sets the tone for your, for your prospects to come up and actually have a, have a competitive environment and a good team behind them. Um, because what you don't want is to fall into like the, the Colorado Rockies cycle of mediocrity where it's like, if we just get our prospects established, then we'll go yep. out and buy the guys to finalize the roster. And then exactly. you're spending two years trying to phase guys into the majors, but they're not having any success because the team around them sucks. And, and, and then by the time they're finally good, they've only got three years left on their deal. And, you know, you don't really want to commit long-term if you're only going to have these guys cost controlled for another three years and, yep. you know, you get really wishy-washy. And then before you know it, a decade's gone by and the best you've ever played is like five ten baseball. I am lucky that I haven't broken some smartphones from throwing them. Whenever <laughs> I see one say it's too early to go and get players, I think anybody who talks about it being too early should be just banished for a year and have them go watch, I don't know what, cricket, okay? You know, they, they can go be cricket fans uh, <laughs> because it's not too early. You should be building your foundation when opportunity presents itself. And again, do I think they're going to go out and get George Springer or uh, JT Real Muto? No. I mean, the handwriting, that's been, that handwriting's been on the wall. It's been off the table for a while. It's a, it's a great fantasy. I've written about it, why they should do it, why they, you know, what the positives are. But if you could get that foundational talent on board and now you start adding your prospects to them, as you were saying, I think that's the way to go. Um, because you're hoping now, the way they're going, they're hoping their prospects pan out and then they're hoping they can convince the right guys to come and fill the holes. Yeah. And the right guys are happen to be available. Because right now I can tell you this. Yes, it would cost them the 31st pick, as you very astutely mentioned yesterday. Okay? I completely agree. But if they brought in George Springer right now, a very athletic guy who I have a hunch could age well into his 30s, and that's never a given, I understand. Now you have a building block in right field or center field, depending where you play on. Absolutely. Or, or if you decided on Real Muto, if he would come to Detroit, and I understand like a guy like uh, Lynn Henning has said, man, he wouldn't come here. Okay, maybe not. But if you throw a sixth year at him, maybe he would. 
And he's one of the most athletic catchers in baseball. I have a feeling, and a lot of people have a feeling, he could age well in his early 30s as well to make that contract work out. Now you got a building block behind the plate. You know, if nothing else, we have that. And now we're going to add our next piece. And we're going to bring in this prospect. And if he turns out now, we're starting to see a lineup come together. Because right now, they got nothing. I mean, in terms of offensive, their lineup, they have next to nothing. They have Candelario, who had a 60-game stretch, 55-game stretch. He was 0 for 17, and people wanted his head, and he started to hit. <laughs> um, but, you know, they got Candelario. They have a 36-game sample of Willie Castro. And you tell me what else they have. So they have holes. They could leverage the wealth of the Illich family and fill a couple of those holes. Now, I have a sense that at the end of this offseason, when there are guys straggling for jobs, we'll probably see them bring in someone like Colton Wong or Tommy LaStella or some guys like that on short deals. Yeah. Those, Don't even say those words. You're making me sick to my stomach, man. They're relatively competent players, but they're not the foundation. They are, they're, you know, placeholders. And we know what placeholders are. We've seen placeholders for a while now. You know, CJ Crone and Ivan Nova and Cameron Maben. That doesn't move the ball forward at all. At all. So, I don't know. Um, I'm a Tigers fan. I always will be a Tigers fan. But I can be pretty jealous of a Padres fan these days. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I'm tired. I'm tired oh. of this team. <laughs> I'm tired about talking about the same crap every time we talk about this team. I, it, <laughs> I'm tired of that line that Alavila uses to justify not paying guys because he got PTSD from the Jordan Zimmerman deal and then everyone yelling at him for the Jordan Zimmerman deal. I'm just, yep. everything yeah, is making me so sick and tired yeah. of the Tigers. Bring it back to what we were talking about, about the Rays and the Padres. They don't operate in fear. The Tigers give us the sense that they are operating out of some fear right now. You know, that, that passive sense, they're afraid of a mistake, uh, as though a mistake is going to sink the whole ship. You know, uh, they have a minuscule payroll right now. They really do, other than Cabrera, okay? The, the, the payroll around him is nothing. They can afford a mistake right now. They could. Yeah, if that's to just make the big move and kick this rebuild into gear, because um, they're just treading water right now, waiting for the next draft, really. And it, it, obviously, the number three picks a great thing to have, but you're treading water and you're operating a little bit out of fear in my mind, and that's a bad place to be. Uh, I don't like what that I don't like what that portends for. Certainly for 21, I think 21 is kind of a, a done. I mean, we're gonna finish. I said, ooh, I made the mistake. Raj hates. I said, we, not good. I'm not on the team. I'm, I, I don't wear a uniform, but I don't think they're going. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think the year is kind of a wash. But if they don't put a foundation in place, 22 is a wash too. Yeah. Uh, can't see that they're rounding into form, and you know they're going to go out and sign one of those shortstops on next year's market, and we're going to turn this thing around uh, on a dime. Don't see it. You know, I, you're right. They should have started last year. They definitely should be starting this year because there's opportunity in the water. Other teams are sitting it out. Whether they should or they shouldn't, they are. And teams are pulling back. So I would buck that trend and go for it a little bit. But I don't see it. We can talk about this until we're blue in the face. But what it boils down to is the Padres are doing what we should be doing. And that is, they assembled a monster of a farm system. Ours isn't quite as good, but, it, you know, it's, it's good. Alavila's done a good job at that. It's a no question. farm system. Go use it. And, I, and we've spent over an hour now saying that. And I'm going to keep saying that. And I think you are, too, until they do it or until Avila gets fired. Because that's, that's essentially what's going to happen. They're either going to do it or Avila's going to lose his job for not doing it. They got to hear it. I mean, I don't, you know, whether 
uh, some blogger on Motor City Bengal says it. And if they even if that registers in their world, I don't care. The word has to get out. It has to come from all over. They're going to do what they want to do, obviously. I and mean, Chris Illich doesn't probably doesn't care what I think, and that's fine. I, I don't pretend that he does, but uh, I think if they hear it enough, maybe it gets through. I don't know. We'll have to see. They won't lose forever. I mean, even you know, uh, blind squirrel finds a nut. They'll have a year where it comes together, and they probably will make a run at a wild card in 2023, and they'll say that the or 2024. And they'll say their rebuild was a success. Uh, ah, you know. yes. The New York Mets uh, yes. of Detroit. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Let's get out of here. You want to plug your stuff? Yeah. Hey, you know, you guys, uh, people listening can find me at MotorCityBengals.com. We have a lot of great writers over there. Um, a lot of good content on a you know pretty much daily basis. I probably do a half dozen pieces a month um it's a lot of fun for me i enjoy the give and take on twitter as well when, when i put a piece out and some people comment it's just a good time uh we're not changing the world we're not curing diseases we're just talking about baseball uh they can find me at youper uh underscore ia because i live here in iowa uh so youper underscore ia and we'll talk about uh, tiger baseball or talk about old movies uh whatever you want uh it's a good time but yeah just check me out at uh, motor city Bengals and uh We'll get closer and closer to the season and we'll see what the season end up looking like. Yep. Yep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the better Markle. Um, I don't always talk about baseball. I talk about star Wars. I talk about basketball. I talk about the Florida Gators. Um, you can find my work at bless you boys. You can find my work at Gators wire. If for some reason, someone listening to this also happens to be a Gators fan, you can find my work at next on deck sports, which is a start startup site from uh, Diego Solaris, um, really awesome dude. I gotta have him, him on here at some point. Um, yeah, yeah, and you can follow the podcast at round 11th for updates on what's upcoming and what we've done recently. Thank you so much for listening. To me, Ramble, to John, make some good points uh, when I'm not talking and uh, stay safe, be kind. I'll see Happy you later. New Year.